helping someone to connect to their emotions or to reconnect to themselves, there's nothing more important than that, right? Like, and the seeds that we plant in all the different ways, they're so powerful, right? And I think sometimes what we've been taught, and particularly women, you know, we think we have to make such a huge impact. We have to affect the millions. We have to like reach everybody. But it, the power is in the seeds, right? The power is in the little ways that we touch people where they have more self-awareness. They have more connection. Mm -hmm. It's even in our vibration and presence. Like when we have awareness and we enter into someone's vibrational field, they feel more awareness like it's this there's so much profoundness in the way we're able to touch people in such simple ways yes powerful yeah it's it's like how you behave in a conversation or one of my favorite things to do I learned this from a friend of mine who, who said it to me and I was like oh my gosh I'm using that <laughs> is if you have a friend who's kind of getting down on themselves or being critical of themselves even just like in an offhand comment I try to say don't talk about my friend that way I had it said to me, it brought me up short, and I was like, wow, okay. If you know there is something deep inside of you that is yearning to be seen, to be known, and to have expression, if there's something you need to reclaim and remember, maybe it's your power, your purpose, your gifts, this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Reclaiming Ourselves. I'm your host, Sonia Statman, and I'm honored to have three amazing co-hosts, Laura Shook Guzman, Belinda Hahn, and Emily Sikorsi, here with me on this journey to self-discovery. Every week, we're going to help you unravel and remember what it means to reclaim yourself, to own who you are, to recognize your innate worth and greatness. Now, this podcast is a deep dive into self-development, healing, and empowerment. So hold on. Here we go. Just a quick note before we dive into today's episode. These initial episodes are introduction episodes. One of the reasons I chose to have co-hosts instead of guests was to give you the opportunity to get to know us and to spend the topic episodes talking about the topics. So today's special episode is a deep dive into one of the co-host stories. It's going to give you context for why we are here and what we have to contribute this season. Enjoy getting to know us. Thank you for listening. And if you want to learn more, be sure to visit reclaimingourselvespodcast.com. Hey, welcome back to Reclaiming Ourselves. I'm so excited today because I get to introduce one of our co-hosts, Emily. And I think that you are going to love her as much as I do. And I'm really excited for her to share her story and just more about herself. And so, hi, Emily. Welcome. Hi, Sonia. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so happy to be here as well with you. So I thought I always kind of with these introduction episodes, like to start with the basics because everyone kind of wants to know, you know, that basic information. Mm -hmm. Where do you live? Do you have kids, a partner? You know, tell us a little bit about where you are right now. Yeah, sure. So I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, so in the Phoenix area. And yes, I have a partner of 20 years. We just hit our 20th anniversary. I think we've been together for 24 years. He was telling me the other day and I don't do, I do, don't do great with sequential like years and like pointing fingers at what year it was, but he assured me that's what it was. <laughs> and then I have, we have two daughters together and they're 19 and 15. 
So it's a very female-dominated household. However, my husband is kind of a beautiful blend of masculine and feminine, and we have a lot of sports on all the time. So I think it kind of balances the energy pretty well. And he is outnumbered sometimes, but we try to make him feel comfortable. <laughs> Same in our household. I totally yeah. get that. That's so beautiful. And man, teenagers, right? Two teens. Yeah. <laughs> How's that it's going? Been- you know, it's nice on this side of, uh, on this side of it. What I found that was the most challenging of the teen years was like 11 and a half to 16. And so that's holding, that held true with the first. The second feels like, you know, she's, she's on the downside of like the challenge, mm-hmm. but still, I think once they get a little bit more freedom in terms of driver's license where we live, that's when she can go out and drive. That really seemed to change the dynamic a little bit. So if you're in that space, if one of our listeners is in that space, like it, it will get better. I feel you deep breaths. Mm-hmm. I know how it feels to be like, the dumbest person in the world, according to, and the most embarrassing human being, according to your children. So I feel you. Parenting is so hard. I'm sure we'll talk about that lots on this podcast, but you know, it is like it's the hardest job in the world. The most rewarding, but the hardest too. I completely yeah. agree, and teaches you the most about yourself, oh, in my opinion. It absolutely does. Like hard um, lessons, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really hard <laughs> lessons. Well, and then while we're here, why don't we talk a little bit about you know your work, maybe, maybe your background, how you kind of came to be where you are today. I think that's such a great start to kind of dive into what you've been doing all these years. Sure, yeah, sure. So I'll bookmark where I am today. So today I'm the co-founder and CEO of Root and River, and we're a brand strategy team. So I lead that team and provide brand strategy, messaging, languaging, but really we dive into the soul of a brand. And brands are really how other people experience what you believe. And so we help dig into what we call the soil of soul and extract all the goodness and then refine it into beautiful, evocative language. So that's where I sit today in my career. I'm 45 and I started my career initially as an English teacher in Japan. And that was my first job after college. And that only lasted a year. (laughs) Was it a fun year? Did you love it? No, I didn't. (laughs) I struggled. It was a challenging year. It was a growthful year. It was a rich year, but it was not necessarily fun. It was really challenging. But I learned so much. So that's how I started my career. And then I came back to the States. When I returned to the States, I was a journalist. I became a journalist. And I was a journalist for eight and a half years and loved that. So I started as a cub reporter covering education and then worked my way all the way up to a publisher of a group of community weekly newspapers here in the Phoenix area. And then in between that, I've done everything. Everything has always been language and kind of strategy related. So I've done PR, I've done ghostwriting, I've done social media strategy and management and every kind of form of content I've, I've put my fingers on and in. And I really feel like I've been a writer my whole life, just in different iterations. I love that. And you know, what's so great about podcasting too, is that it, it in a way translates that, right? Like we're able mm. to express ourselves, you know, in the same way that we express our writing, because I feel like I've been a writer most of my career as well. We're able to do that in a little bit of a different way, but it's it's still a, a similar expression. Yeah, it's all about telling stories. And I often say like, when I was a journalist, I really learned everything. Like, the I feel like that was the formation of my career and my my work, my avocation, 
or vocation was to learn how to listen, ask good questions, look at a story from all different parts, and then hold that incredible responsibility of telling somebody else's story for them. And that was pretty formative, um, terrifying at moments. And, you know, I had often had people, you know, yelling at me as the editor for this story or that story that they didn't like. But it really, that, I, I felt like that, that time frame really gave me, gave me kind of all the tools that I needed to, to do what I am today and served me well at various points in my career. Yes. And, you know, that's actually one of the reasons why I'm so excited to have you on this podcast, because I feel like you really are so good at asking good questions, pulling on threads, offering different perspectives. And I think it's going to be so rich for the podcast to have your voice and your perspective because you just have, you're so wise, but you oh. also pull out these very honest and real answers and questions. So I'm really looking forward to to all that that offers this season. Yeah, thank you. I love any opportunity to ask thought-provoking questions and engage conversation. So I'm glad to have the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I love um, that. So tell me a little bit more about you. Like if you were to describe yourself, what are some of maybe this two to three adjectives that you might use to describe yourself? Or, you know, how would you kind of share with the audience who you fundamentally are? Hmm, such a great question. I think the first adjective, and I've, I've written about this in the past, that it was not meant positively when it was first applied to me was emotional. Mm. <laughs> it is a positive word to me, and I'm working on giving it a positive connotation in the broader discussion. But I'm definitely, I live life the way I describe it, I live life emotions first. Some people might describe that as an empath, but I, I see it a little bit differently. I definitely empathize deeply with people, but I live life. My first impression is always emotional and then in, in intuitive. And so as a friend told me the other day, as I was sitting in her car crying about something, she turned to me and said, wow, you can access your emotions so readily. And she was really like, "That I'm in awe of that because... I have to work so hard to even figure out how I feel. And so, yeah, so emotional is definitely one of those words I would use to describe myself. Creative would be another. As long as I can remember being alive, I have always created worlds and stories and paper dolls when I was a kid, but not just paper dolls, but paper dolls that lived in a town and that had these intersecting storylines. And it was that. very in-depth. I wanted to be a fashion designer when I was younger. I became like a self-taught artist. So that would definitely be another word. And I think the third word I would use, I think it goes to something around being very driven. Um, or my name, my daughter's doing a project at school about what her name means. And she's really mad because her name means uh, leader of the elves. And she's like, that's really terrible. <laughs> I love that. I want to be leader of the elves. <laughs> no, I was like, I think that's awesome. I think it's actually ruler of the elves, but she refuses to use that language. It's one or the other. She doesn't want to use. So we were talking about what our names mean recently. Mm. And mine means industrious. And I, as, as long as I can remember, I've been very diligent and industrious and sort of driven. I'm not going to win the race as far as speed, but I will doggedly pursue something 
And so that's my, my form of being driven. And I think that's important, you know, when it comes to reclaiming ourselves and the labels that other people put on us, you know, some of these, I definitely feel these three adjectives describe me, but they've also been ascribed to me. And being driven can mean one thing, but for, I've learned that for me, it means that persistent, steady pursuit of something. It doesn't mean, you know, grind all night. I'll, you know, that's not what I mean. It's like, no, a lock in and then it make progress steadily towards something. Absolutely. And I think, you know, often reclaiming ourselves is about like relabeling or reowning, reclaiming the labels even that other people have put on us to define them in our own ways, to look at how they, you know, kind of match who we are or don't match who we are. Like, I think, you know, it's an interesting part of the journey to kind of look at what really does fit us and how would we describe it. I mean, I do so often when I'm teaching or talking, I'm looking at definitions. What is the definition? How would I describe the definition versus maybe how the dictionary does or how someone else labels it? And I love how you kind of shared that these are three things that you've reclaimed, you know, and these are kind of your definitions of those things. And, you know, I love them. They're all great. Thank you. I think I think it's really true. And I think that takes a lot of time and knowing yourself and because I hated being called emotional. That was definitely in my family. It was not, it wasn't mean, but it was like, that's something, Emily, that, you know, you need to correct. That's what I heard. That's the way I heard yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And it took me a very long time to really realize that that was a power of mine and ability of mine. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think that's very welcomed here on this podcast. Like all all of us, all of the co-hosts, we're all very emotional beings. I think we really resonate with that level of expression and power. And and I think it's where we're going as a world too. I mean, I know I'm teaching so much more about emotional intelligence, even in corporates. And, you know, people are starting to recognize that we do have to understand our emotions, that we do have to connect connect to them to find joy and to find connection and collaboration. I mean, all of the things we want in our lives are kind of connected to that. And I think a lot of people have not accessed that power inside themselves. And just like you were talking about with your friend, it's, you know, it's difficult to access. So it really is a gift to be able to to access that. It is. It is. And I agree with you. I think the world is moving that way. And there's there's so much to learn. We're all emotional beings. And so it's sad that it's been relegated to something less important and mainstream, Western culture in particular, I think. But um, and we've sort of been told that we can only be angry and like, outrage, especially right now. There's like this over flooding of outrage and anger and, and you know, indignation. And so those are just a few of the many, many emotions that we're all actually feeling or not feeling, trying to avoid feeling. So the more we can become more conversant in in the language of emotion, the better we'll be able to be just at, at acknowledging them in ourselves and in other, other people. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about maybe your journey, right? You know, not just your work journey, which we've kind of briefly touched on, but 
you know, your life journey. You know, one of the things about kind of this journey to reclaim ourselves, and I think, you know, we're all going to be talking about our experience with this topic, right? Not just share what we've learned from people that we've worked with or what we've learned in our careers, but also like our own journeys. You know, what would you say is maybe two or three kind of pivotal moments in your life that, you know, moments where you reclaimed yourself, you remembered who you were, maybe that really shifted your relationship with yourself, you you know, what were those moments and, and what did what did they feel like? Because sometimes I think when we're talking about this topic of reclaiming ourselves, we w- people are asking, but what does that feel like, right? What does it feel like to reclaim ourselves? How can I notice when that happens? What, what were some of your experiences? And since, you know, I've been invited into this space and this idea of reclaiming ourselves, I've really been thinking a lot about my own journey in in that. And I think the moments that come to mind, I found this little red thread, as I like to say through them, they're moments of breaking down dissolution, as well as revelation. They're like the same moment. So I think part of reclaiming ourselves is not it's not just like, the, oh, I get it. That's who I'm supposed to be and where I'm supposed to go. It's a burning away. It's a death. Mm-hmm. It's a grief. It's a bottom of the well looking up <laughs> moment. So one of those moments for me, we already sort of touched on it a little bit, was coming back from Japan after I had gone abroad. And I was just kind of destroyed by the experience for a lot of a lot of different reasons. It shook me to my core and I lost hold of myself and I came back in my memory, like kind of a shell, kind of a broken shell. I was meant to stay actually for 12 months. I stayed for 10 because I had to get home for my mental health. I had to leave. And at that moment, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know I was going to be in, end up in journalism. I had a communication degree, which meant I could do anything and also meant like, I have no idea what I'm going to yeah, do. I have that. Too. I have. Yeah. In my mind, I had failed. I had studied abroad in college. And so I thought this would be like another like awesome moment. And like, I'd figure out so many things and it felt like I had just failed. And At the same time, so that was sort of the sinking, the rising was this sense that became more clear once my kind of diligence and a lot of love and support from my family and my partner at the time who we were dating, this rising sense that I could reinvent myself, but not reinvent, that's the incorrect word, that I could pull myself back together and take on a new challenge and not, I think part of the reason why I went to Japan was like, I had something to prove, right? Sort of laying back into this idea that maybe my next move didn't have to be proving anything. It could just be being in that, a cushion of of love surrounded by family and friends and doing intuitively what felt right. I had no reason to get my first journalism job. Like I said, I didn't have a degree in it. I hadn't worked for the school newspaper at, at university. Basically, when I got the interview, I like created a newsletter about my family and that because they said bring clips and I was like, I have no clips. So I invented something and I I, like brought like a lot of moxie. I brought it to the interview and 
I was like, okay, here we go. And I got hired on my first day on the job. I got an assignment to cover this, this, I think it was a city council meeting or a school board meeting. And I went to the veteran reporter in the newsroom and I was like, Hey, Brian. So just a quick question. Could you give me just like a very high level sketch of like how to do this job? <laughs> Oh my God, I, had I love that. Literally no idea what I was doing. And he looked at me like, who the heck is this? And I can't believe this. Cause he was like a hearted journalist. And then I saw his, he had pity on me. And so <laughs> thank you to Brian. But that, so I just, I, I don't know. There was this moment of like, I knew I could do it. Something inside of me was like, I know I can do this. And I don't know at all how I'm going to do it, but. I feel like this is the right path. So I think it was a reconnection to intuition in that moment. That's That's really amazing. Do you feel like in Japan it was just like being in a completely new environment? Or what do you think that really caused that sort of disconnection to yourself in the first place? What would you say is Mm -hmm. the thread of that? I think I was disconnected from the get-go. Graduating from college, it was just – I don't know. It was very disorienting. I'm a I'm a really good student, <laughs> and I love the structure. And I was suddenly, for the first time in my life, without that scaffolding. So I think that was part of it. And then I knew nothing about Japanese culture. I knew no Japanese language. I was so naive, dumb, full of hubris, and so even though they had a really great training program, I was also placed in a city four hours north of Tokyo by the Shinkansen, by the bullet train, in a very rural mountain town, and placed in teacher's housing. So I had a pit toilet, so I didn't have a flushing toilet. There was no central heat. And this is on a parallel with like Washington, D.C. So the weather was (laughs) cold, snowy. And I was team teaching in this high school with Japanese men, teachers of English, and I was sort of a novelty. Mm. And I was, in some cases, in most cases, expected to walk behind those teachers as men. So interesting. So the culture was so different. I was unprepared for it. I was a 22-year-old pipsqueak with going from a big city to this rural space, and my family was going through some challenges at home. I had just started dating my husband a month before I left. So it was sort of a perfect storm. And ultimately it was like, I was, I was also in a fishbowl. So I was the town celebrity being a gaijin, a foreigner. And so when I went to the grocery store, people would follow me around to see what I would put in my basket. And at first it's funny. And then you're like, back off. I had a stalker (laughs) when I was there. Like it was (laughs) was a lot. It was a lot. And I just. Yeah, I just slowly, the only thing that I had was my writing and credit to my amazing mother-in-law. She used to tape, she used to tape episodes of Touched by an Angel and on a VHS and mail them to me because I couldn't even watch Japanese television. So I had a VHS and I had Touched by an Angel and I had my writing and that's how I survived. And I had some, I did have some friends there, but I think it just kind of broke down my old comfort support systems in all the ways and broke down my context. And I just kind of eroded. Yeah. Look, and I love the way you kind of pulled this first pivotal moment or, you know, as an example, because I think, you know, what you said earlier really resonated with me, this idea that 
when we're trying to prove ourselves, when there's like this proving ourselves and we finally let go of that, I think that is such an important piece of reclaiming ourselves because, in, and I love your perspective on this, but because one of the things I've really seen in this process, right, as we're reclaiming ourselves, as we're, we're understanding who we are, you know, the greatness of our innate self, it it really requires us to let go of trying to prove things to others. It requires us to let go of what others think, what others want. And and so what was – do you agree with that kind of statement that that was part of the process? Yeah, definitely. I think I'm a person who sets pretty high standards for myself. I, and I see that as the same thing. It's like in the last several years, as I feel like I've made more progress towards reclaiming myself is sort of letting go of those, not letting go, understanding the unconscious standards, the standards, again, ascribed to me by society and releasing the idea of I have to do this or I have to fulfill this role. It's so challenging because I think for much of my life so far, I've had kind of blinders on to what those even were. So, and I, I think you just need to be broken down. Like, I don't think you can, I don't think you <laughs> learn those through success and ease and you learn about the falseness of them by like running up against them and having them shatter or, or standing on top of them because you made it and having the ground fall beneath you. I mean, other pivotal moments have been when I've had great success and I'm like, but it doesn't have meaning for me. And I thought I was following this path that I would have meaning. And that's almost just as disconcerting, but I think it goes to, you know, pushing away from what you have to prove or what you have to live up to or the standards that you set because somewhere along the line, that's what was ingrained as desirable or fulfilling or required of you as a, as a woman or as a, as a person in the 21st, 20th, 21st century. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I so agree. And so what was maybe one of those other pivotal moments that you can mm -hmm. share with us that helped you to kind of reclaim yourself? And I do agree that there, there's usually a breakdown or a burning or mm -hmm. like something mm -hmm. that happens before we embrace that power and that ownership of reclaiming ourselves. Well, thanks for saying that because like, note to listeners, it's <laughs> another yeah. sad story. <laughs> yeah, for me, it, all, it just kind of always is. So I lost my mom 10 years ago, 11 oh. years ago now to pancreatic cancer. And I often say like the moment my mom died, a new version of me was born. So in the moment that she died, I was with her. We were very close. She was like my best friend. I felt an energetic shift in me and our connection. Mm. And I felt sort of a download of creative energy. And at the same time, I was devastated, <laughs> literally devastated. She was 62 years old, young and healthy, healthy her whole life, not an ill person at all in any way. So it was extremely jarring. The center of our family, a very big family. And, um, and I also had this, and I don't look back because you never want it to happen, but I do recall that time I had this clarity. Like I remember a friend driving me home from my parents' house and 
just looking around, knowing, you know, seeing everything that was happening and knowing that, that none of it was significant, that what was significant was, was simply love. And it was just this crystal clarity. And I often meditate back to that knowing when I feel myself getting caught up in comparison, in the rat race, in presentation or promotion. I, I kind of go back to that and I just go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I feel it in my body. You asked earlier, like, I think this was a great question you asked, like, how do you know? How do we know when we are reclaiming ourselves? How do we even know if we're in that process? And I, I do feel like you've, you have a shifted perception visually almost. And in my body, I just feel like my cells coming together and tingling a little bit. Like there's a sense of vibrational. And I think when it's a messier moment too, I think we feel fragments of ourselves, but they're close by. I don't know. I'm getting really, but I I think it's important. That's a really important discussion to have with people. It's like, how will I sense this? I think those are three ways I would sense that. So that was a moment where sort of a, a reclaiming of myself process began in the moment when my mom died and then has continued since then, but certainly was a very acute the first several years. And the process of grief is always an inter- interesting revealer. It really is. I mean, my, my mom passed away about five years ago, so mm. I can relate to, you know, everyone's journey is, of course, different. But yeah, just navigating your own definition when that happens, Mm. navigating, you know, life without them, navigating the grief, like it is a, it's very, very interesting journey. And I really love how you talked about the feeling in your body, because I think, you know, when we reclaim ourselves, it is an embodied feeling, right? It's, it's not something in our head And so like sometimes I think people think they've reclaimed a piece of themselves, but then they go back, you know, and and they're like, oh, it didn't really change. Nothing really changed. But I feel like when you when you have that embodied experience, even if you go back into default or bad habits, there's always that reference point and you're able to go back to it and feel it in a whole bodied way. I love that. I think that's a great tip. Sonia, I think I do that. That's why I said in meditation, I kind of bring myself back to that moment. We are beings who we are hardwired to bookmark visuals and bookmark sensations. And when we express those sensations, even if it's within our own realm, like in meditation or journaling, those come back to us and they live again. And we begin to sync up our energy with other people who can experience that. And this isn't, this isn't mystical. This is science, right? So our brains begin to sync up with one another when we're sharing sensual details of the sights, the sounds, the smells, the way my body felt, where I was, what was around me. So I think that those are important talismans or grounding tools for us as we as we go get off course, which we're, which we do every day. Yeah. Yes. We get off course. We go on course. And you know, that's something we're definitely going to talk about in this podcast is like that forgetting and remembering, right? We don't mm. get to a place where we're like, we're reclaimed task done. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, Check. yeah, we reclaim a part of ourselves and we forget who we are again. And then we, oh, no, wait, here I am. And then we forget who we are again. And, and it's kind of that lifelong journey and giving ourselves that, you know, acceptance 
to be there, to go back. And the learning happens because of the forgetting. Yes. And we've been so, like, trained to be like, oh, I just screwed that up, right? And to be so punitive with ourselves and so critical. But if we don't have the forgetting, then we can't go to the next stage of practice. Like, we cannot progress. You know, I got to hit my head a hundred times trying to figure out how to do crow (laughs) before I can achieve that pose in yoga. Like, it's – Without that pain, without that imbalance, we can't ever really touch the the progress. Yes. Yeah. It's that skill building, right, too? It's mm. like that that ability to work at something and then, you know, lose it or and then but gain a little bit more confidence, right? Like it's like this process of skill building. And I think we don't allow that enough for ourselves in our personal growth and our, you know, recognizing yeah. of who we are. No, I have another little mantra that a friend and I kind of remind each other of, but small steps every day, small steps. And just thinking about today, I I did the Google search, you know, I filled out a form and that's a small step. And or I persisted through the day and I didn't do diddly squat towards that goal, but I got myself whole through the day. That's okay. Small steps every day. Yes. hundred percent. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. All right, so I want to take a little turn. So, you know, yeah. it's so it's so beautiful us getting access to your history and your personal journeys. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. Yeah. I want to dig a little bit into your work. I mean, we talked a little bit about your career and where you are today and, you know, for anyone who doesn't know Root and River, it's a very different and powerful branding company like what you all do is really kind of essentially like you said pull out that soul of a business and and I have used that and experienced that and it's really really beautiful and powerful but I want to tap a little bit into you know if you were to describe your life's work or at least a thread of that right because I think we're always kind of developing our life's work but if you were to kind of describe maybe a thread of that what well, what would you say is kind of a thread of your life's work? Yeah, so I after I think it was about 2015 2016 I was sort of going through this crisis of identity, one of many I'm sure I'll have. And I called my dad and I said, you know, what do you know about me? What do you know to be true about me? You've known me my whole life. And he repeated something to me that he'd said before, but it had never quite hit in the same way, which was, you translate emotion into words better than anyone I've ever met. And it just kind of snapped or clicked into place for me as like, yes, like that's what I'm here to do. So, you know, in your question, I feel like that is my life's work and that has been the driving force and every iteration in my professional career, as well as, you know, outside of that. But I, I feel that I'm doing that essentially in one way or another. Another purpose that I have in life is this idea of trying to inspire through my own efforts and failures, inspire undivided living, because I feel that we have really, we have this tendency as, as human beings and certainly human beings who are living kind of apart from the land and in all these little compartments, we divide ourselves up. Parker Palmer writes about this, a divided life. And I have not been great at this, but I feel that this is something that I want to get better at and I want to inspire. And I think we do this in our work at Root and River is to remove the division between, you know, Sonia the businesswoman and Sonia the human being. Like it's, it's all one and the same. 
We can come from the same place. We can ground into the same truth and we can share that in a lot of different, a lot of different modalities, a lot of different ways. And so I'm a ambassador of that idea is to, I think it, it gives such relief to people when, and it helps to break down pretense when you can say, yeah, your business, your business beliefs or core values are the same as your personal beliefs or core values. So let's get into it. You don't have to hold them at arm's length. And just the same as when I'm writing, so I write a, a newsletter, just a personal newsletter called Thought Cookie once a month. And when I'm writing that, I'm really trying to tap into, you know, what are the divisions that I'm feeling within myself that I'm wrestling with? What are the emotions that are rising? And, and how do I see that reflected in the culture around me or in friends around me? And how can we create space? How can we be graceful with ourselves in healing those divisions? Because I think on the other side of that is this tremendous capacity to live wholeheartedly, whole-mindedly, and to decrease divisions. If we are divided against ourselves, there's no way we can connect with other people who are different than us. And that's really, you know, the heart of it for me. So kind of smash those two things together. And, and I think that's what I'm here to do. I love that. So beautiful. I mean, I can really resonate with the, you know, translating emotions. And I think that's such a gift, like to be able to language emotion, to be able to help people feel through words, you know, it's just such a profound experience and something so needed in the world because our brains want to like understand in words, but our bodies want to understand in emotions and energy. And so being able to kind of combine those is like a bridge right? A bridge to, to truth, bridge to who mm -hmm. we, who we are. And I love the, the undivided because that's wholeness, right? When we're, when we're no longer divided, we're whole and we're able to connect in such a more profound way to ourselves and to our mission and to who we are and to others. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not either or it's both. Correct. Yeah. And it, it makes us able to see ourselves and other people and reduces our tendency to other, which is really the beginning of dehumanization and division and genocide. And I don't mean to be to exaggerate there, but I truly believe that you want to, if you want to deal with violence, you have to look at the inner life and how we talk to ourselves and how we look at ourselves and the pain that exists in inside of people is really what leads to horrific acts of, of violence and harm. And so I feel that I can maybe affect that in some small way, <laughs> very small yeah. way by, well, by big ways. encouraging people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah. Touching someone, helping someone to connect to their emotions or to reconnect to themselves. There's nothing more important than that, right? Like, and the seeds that we plant in all the different ways, they're so powerful, right? And I think sometimes what we've been taught, and particularly women, I think, you know, we think we have to make such a huge impact. We have to affect the millions. We have to, like, reach everybody. But it, the power is in the seeds, right? The power is in the little ways that we touch people where they have more self-awareness. They have more connection. It's even in our vibration and presence. Like, when we have awareness and we enter into someone's vibrational field, they feel more awareness like it's this there's so much profoundness in the way we're able to touch people in such simple ways um, yes powerful 
yeah, it's it's like how you behave in a conversation or one of my favorite things to do, I learned this from a friend of mine who, who said it to me and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm using that, <laughs> is if you have a friend who's kind of getting down on themselves or being critical of themselves, even just like in an offhand comment, I try to say, don't talk about my friend that way. I had it said to me, it brought me up short and I was like, wow, okay. Or teaching, you know, Jason and I have been very intentional about trying to teach our daughters that it's okay. Whatever emotion you're having is okay, right? It's mm-hmm. accepted. It's welcomed. And my oldest daughter's at college now, and she was relaying something about a friend who was going through a difficult time. And she told me without, you know, thinking, you know, I just told her it's okay to have that emotion and all your emotions are okay. And I was like, success. Yay, success. success. Right. Seriously. But in that, for that that person in that moment, yeah, that little, that's a little thing that I hopefully helped to impart to her or reminded her of her own wisdom of that consistently enough that she shared it with somebody else. And then maybe that shifted something for them. And who knows what the ripple effect from that could be. But those are the little minute things that we can do every day to try to shift, to create larger shifts, I think. I think so too. And I love that one in particular, like, you know, so much of sometimes what I talk about with emotional intelligence is just that piece of just accepting emotions, just accepting all of our emotions, like not only raises our emotional intelligence, but allows us to be, have more empathy towards others, more connection towards others, more relationship with ourself. Like there's just so much that just that one tiny thing does. If we were teaching it in schools, if we were teaching it everywhere, I think we'd be uh, in a much different world. Oh, I fully agree with that. I could go off on a, yeah. And we will. A (laughs) soliloquy. Okay, good. About, you know, who cares about like, Organic chemistry. Well, I guess doctors do, but who cares about like algebra two when we need to be teaching people how to acknowledge and talk about their feelings? Like if we don't do that, what can we achieve from us? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. A hundred percent. All right. So tell us a little bit about what you want to talk about this season and why. So, you know, just give it, we're going to give a little bit of teasers to maybe what our episodes will look like, the topics you kind of want to bring to the surface, because I think it's, it's kind of fun to do that and gives everybody a little bit of a sneak peek. Yeah, you bet. Well, we already touched on some of the themes that we're going to kind of bring out in my episodes, but I really want to talk about the way that we divide ourselves up and the way that we get sucked into that. It's something I call the muchness. Like our world is full of demands. Like we get 4,000 to 6,000 demands for attention and immediate action every single day. And that, that number was several years ago, right? So it's, it's way past that. From the moment we roll over and pick up our phone on our bedside table, we are in response mode and because of those demands, we are divided beings, like we divide ourselves up. So the muchness exists. It's like clouds all around us. We don't always know it's there. We It exerts pressure on us that we're not necessarily always cognizant of. So I want to talk about that and I want to break that down and I want to look at ways that we can become aware of, of how that, that pressure affects us and why it leads to anxiety and burnout and feelings of inadequacy in comparison. At least those are all things it leads to in me. <laughs> and then how can we do small things? Again, it's rooting into those small things to combat or to place ourselves outside of the muchness, to step aside and away and put it at arm's length for those moments when 
for our lives so we can reclaim our lives and not get sucked into it. So that's one thing we'll be diving into. I love that. I can't wait. That sounds really exciting. Anything else you want to share that we might be diving into? Yeah, I mean, I really, you know, I'm all about the messiness and you may have picked that up from our discussion here. Like I, I, I eschew like things that look polished and perfect and perfect perfection doesn't exist. It's just kind of a, another measure of punishment on ourselves. So I really want to get into just generally like the messy middles and, and how mess can be awesome and how to recognize it, right? And how to not get down on ourselves. And so I think that's another thread as we kind of come through this season that we'll be talking about and how to really language that, how to put words around what we're experiencing, because in language is the is is the thing that we can do once we convert those emotions into language, there's freedom on the other side of that. And so I think that's owning our stories, as you said earlier, defining what we mean by by terms. And that that sounds like a word nerd, like just saying that, but the power, the energetic power of doing that is huge. And so I want to explore that with you and with with everybody else involved and, and with our listeners. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, messiness is such a part of the reclaiming ourselves process. Like if we can't embrace that, we don't get to the other side of it, right? Like, cause we're so busy trying to avoid the messiness that, you know, we actually never get to the truth of reclaiming who we are. And so I think that's a, a, a very important topic and, and something I'm super excited to dive in. I just can't wait to dive into all of it. Like we're going to have such amazing conversations. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing with us your story. And I want to kind of you know, wrap up this, this episode with a couple of rapid fire questions. So let's you do know, it. Let's do it. Okay. So tell us your favorite books. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you put an S on that because there are so many. <laughs> yeah. The Alchemist is, is at the top mm. of the list. Broken Open would be another one. Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. I also love a series of mystery books written by Louise Penny that have a very, very charismatic central figure. And so I love, I love reading. I read constantly. So I have many books and I reread The Great Gatsby every few years. And it, it is a beautiful piece of, of writing. Yeah. I love that. I can't wait to like take all these books and go find them if I haven't read them yet. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So favorite music or podcast. So either one, like, what do you love listening to? Oh, that's great. So I love, I'm very eclectic music tastes. Currently right now, I'm really into Ruby Bridgers, but I've been on a Chris Stapleton kick as well. I love Lizzo. I love her. I love everything that she's about. My daughters are obsessed with Harry Styles, so I've gotten into Harry Styles, but uh, the classics as well. My favorite band is Indigo Girls. That's who I kind of grew up with, Mm -hmm. but I love music and podcasts. Just like this podcast, anything that's like a, an, a compelling conversation. So I love Brene. I love all her podcasts. Yeah. Um, I'm currently binging on a podcast by Kate Bowler. It's called Everything Matters. So that's been really interesting. And I love Design Matters too by Debbie Millman. So just love a few. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Some of your favorite TV shows. 
I I think my favorite TV show of all time that I get the most obsessed with was Lost. Um, mm, so I'm I a huge that. Lost nerd. And loved ER when I was growing up. But I also like, I don't know if you have, if our listeners have listened or watched uh, Working Moms on Netflix, but it's a Canadian show and there are about five seasons. And it's as a white middle class mom just working, raising kids, they just nail it. But the, the characters are messy and real and awesome. And you guys should go watch it. Okay. I love it. How about favorite foods? I love anything like farm to table. So little, like I'm a little, we're a little bit of foodies around here. Um, mm -hmm. but anything that's come, you know, from a local garden and been thoughtfully prepared, that's sort of my favorite thing to eat. But we love food. I love to bake. I'm a baker. So I like to bake as well. Yeah. Okay, good. I wish I was there to get some of your baked goods. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And last question, favorite indulgence. My favorite indulgence is time to myself <laughs> to read just like a stack of books next to a super comfy, could be couch, could be bathtub, maybe some dark chocolate. Mm. Mm, decadence. Yeah. Sounds perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for being in here. Anything that you want to add as we wrap up this episode to our listeners? No, I definitely want to know that we have you in mind as listeners. And so we invite you back into these conversations and we'd love to hear what was evoked for you. If you disagreed, great. For all of us involved in this, it's like the opportunity to find resonance, but also be intrigued and be curious and be drawn in through maybe things that we disagree on. So that's okay. That's all welcome. And I'm, I'm just so grateful to engage those conversations with you and the other amazing women. Oh, me too. All right. Well, thank you, Emily. And thank you, listeners. And we will see you next week. Hey, it's Emily. I hope something from our conversation today inspired you. And if you find yourself curious about my work, about intrinsic branding, or about Root and River, I invite you to head over to rootandriver.com where you can sign up for our newsletter or you can read some of our free content. Hope to see you there. <laughs>